but I wrote for my daughter was about four grand a year. This is okay. not expensive. Okay. This is not expensive. It's incredibly easy. And you did um, it on a 10 year plan. So half of it's a 10 year plan. Okay. And the reason to do half of it in a 10 year plan is because after the 10 years, the cash in the contract must be worth what you've put into it. So worst case scenario, you got them some life insurance and all you paid was the opportunity cost. But it will then grow typically four, four and a half, five percent, and it's never taxed again and it can be collateralized as a line. And oh, by the way, it's not a gift to them. You own it. It's your property. If you decide you want it back, it's still your money. Hmm. You can cash it back out? Absolutely. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Eric Brotman here with me today. He has a laundry list of uh, acronyms after his name, CFB, AEP, CPWA. He's also the Chief Executive Officer for BFG Financial Advisors, an independent firm assisting clients with wealth creation, preservation, and distribution. Eric's been in the business for over 25 years in his financial planning uh, and founded his firm in Baltimore in 2003. Uh, above that also, he hosts a podcast called Don't Retire, Graduate, and has a book called Don't Retire, Graduate. And we're gonna hop into some financial questions and, uh, and, and see how things go today. So welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks, Cody, so glad to be here. Hey, um, I'm super excited to talk to you because uh, I love the idea of your title of your podcast and your book um, about don't retire, graduate. And I love the idea of it because I lived in South Florida for a really long time. And I saw a lot of retirees come there, get into a condo and just kind of give up. And, and, I, and I saw other ones that kind of got into that same scenario and, and just started seeming like they were, they had energy and thriving and doing stuff. Right. And so is that where you come from on your, on your uh, positioning to get into that don't retire graduate? I, I think first we have to think about retirement um, in a whole new way, because the idea of traditional retirement, which is to retreat or disappear is a fate worse than death. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone make themselves take their 30 or 40 or 50 years of experience and wisdom and then become largely irrelevant and disappear and lose their network and lose their, their, um, their, their energy and lose their interest? So uh, it, it's about finding purpose. It's about getting to a point where work is optional. In fact, I like to define retirement not as the absence of work, but as the absence of needing to work. If you're financially independent, if you're at a point, no matter how old you are, whether you're 25 or 85, if you're financially independent and you decide you want to do something that, that, uh, that lights your wick and you get excited about it, um, whether it's for money or not, are you retired? You're not retired. You're actively engaged in life. 
you know, it, it doesn't make sense to, to see this as anything except the next iteration, Cody Lachlan 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0. Um, and so the, the people I have seen, and we, you know, in, in 25 plus years of doing this, we've seen a lot of folks who retire in the traditional sense and they don't thrive. No, no, it's, Maybe. um, yeah. It, it, so I, I got into the community of fire, right. And I think we kind of talked a little bit offline about what my, a little bit of my story. Um, but I wanted to, uh, I, when I found out about fire, which is financially independent, retire early. Right. I was like, I want to do that. Like that. I don't, I'm, I was $700,000 in a hole, no job, like no, like just the worst financial wreck you could see. And I found out about that. And I was like, I want that, you know, I, and I could have, like, I should have just been like, I just want to be able to put food in my mouth. But, but I, so when I saw that and I thought, man, what an awesome concept, like the retiring isn't necessarily for me. Um, and I got there, you know what I mean? Which was, a, which was a super, you know, I, one of my proudest moments of my life is that I got to the point where, you know, that happened. And so like, but I, I, I work now, but I do what I, I work on what I want. It's optionality, right? It, it gives you options and financial freedom to me is more of where can you go have impact in the world? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I, and I don't think, I don't think there's enough golf courses or cruises or shuffleboards or any of that nonsense or daytime TV, for heaven's sake, that, that you can spend your time doing. If you don't have a reason to get out of bed every morning, you will stop getting out of bed every morning. That's not anecdotal and you won't age well. And aging, you know, traditional retirement at 65, 67, well, we could live to be 104. What do you do for 35 plus years? That's nuts. You know, it's, it's not like, it's not like it used to be where you worked yourself to 65 and you were dead at 72 and, and you had the pension and the gold watch and you rode off in the sunset and that was it. We're talking about a, a third of your life and potentially as much as half of your adult life. Why would you spend it idle when you could be changing the world and making the world a better place and enjoying your family and enjoying your friends and enjoying whatever your hobbies are, your interests are, why do they go away? You know, economically too, what you said earlier um, about throwing away 55, 60 years of 70 years of wisdom, right? Like if we could harness that, like it just seems, it seems like we could, it would have such a collateral impact with that. That's a big resource. It seems like we just kind of like toss it off, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at people's LinkedIn profiles, I, you know, I, I liken this to um, determining what you want to be when you grow up. And I ask people at every age, what do you want to be when you grow up? I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> and, and why should you? And, and my daughter, who's 10, I tell her, don't grow up. It's a trap. Adulting is a trap. Um, but, but, it, but in all seriousness, what do you want to be when you grow up? Go towards something. Be working towards something. If you look at somebody's LinkedIn profile and it says retired, are you going to click on that person and go, wow, I'll bet this person's really dynamite. I can't wait to have dinner with them. <laughs> or are you going to be like, well, they might as well say deceased. So now if it says engaged with the, the Red Cross or with this organization, or if it's consulting or if it's teaching kids X, Y, Z, whatever it is, coaching, anything, then they have a story to tell. They have, uh, they have something that, that uh, in a way that you can connect, that you can, that you can create opportunities and, and, uh, and shared interests and, but to put retired is, is like to say, I quit. I'm done. Yeah. What else I got to do. Right. Yeah, like I'm you done. said, I mean, golf's cool, but it's not that much fun. All right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I tell everybody I, I plan to retire at the beach and this is true, but I also plan to work until I either physically or mentally can't because I love what I'm doing. Yeah. I would like to do it with a view of the Atlantic ocean. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, but, but, uh, but, you know, and I'd like to pick and choose my spots. You know, right yeah. now I take the better part of my summers off. And I love that because it allows me family time when, when my daughter's not in school. It allows, it allows me to, to let what's left of my hair down. It allows me to just breathe a little and, and do yoga and run on the beach and feel, you know, a total, but, but I'm still fully engaged. Yeah. You know, I'd rather work really hard for a while and then take a nice break and then look forward to working again rather than have it be, um, you know, sort of the grind. That's yeah. The, yeah. The, the day in, day out piece on that. Um, and that's kind of so part of the reasons that I, I really wanted to do Money Talkers was um, it's, it's almost on the other. I, I just kind of thought of as we were talking about, like thinking about working through retirement, you get to do what you want because you, you've kind of earned that piece. Right. But it's also the flip side of that of why I think we ought to be teaching financial literacy and entrepreneurship to kids because it's almost like they, they have super amount of energy, but they also don't have the responsibilities kind of like a retiree, right? Like you could pick and choose what you wanted to do basically coming out of school or even if you're in school, right? You could go, you can still go do what you want because you, you don't have life's traps yet that you're talking about. And so in my mind, those kids have the opportunity to go out and solve the world's biggest problems because one, they don't know they can't right yet. The world hasn't told them they can't solve the problem. So that's the people that solve problems. And the second part is that they kind of are like retirees and the fact that they have all the, they have all the world's options to go pick from and everybody's encouraging them to do it. Well, they do, but what they have time and they have that's what they're rich with what they don't have is treasury. Yeah. And so it requires, uh, it, it requires like-minded souls who have more money than time or more uh, money and time than, than energy or talent to work with the folks who are full of energy and who can make a difference. It, it creates some very cool opportunities to partner with people. You know, I think this entire generation, I don't know about the millennials because the millennials are hamstrung with giant student loans in a way that is, it, it was almost false advertising. Oh, this so, whole idea of go, you, go you spend a hundred, wow. 200, 300 grand on school and you'll get a better job and you'll be fine. No, you'll be in a hole for 10 to 20 years. You'll be paying for your education when you're paying for your kid's education. It, 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 it was almost a lie. And then to get a degree in something that might not exist because things are moving so fast, um, you, you know, you're getting degrees in, in, in fields that, that may not exist in five or 10 years and you can make yourself irrelevant very, very quickly. So I think Gen Z gets it. They know, like the millennials, they need side hustles. Mm. They got to figure out something to get them excited, and they're and they're not punching somebody else's clock. They're also not falling into the traps. They're not buying the the big house that's going to saddle them with that. They're not they're not spending huge money on on automobiles and other consumer stuff. Yeah, it's um I, one of the most encouraging things I've ever seen. There was there was an Experian um, survey, and it was something along the lines of about seventy eight percent of Gen Z wanted financial education. And I was like, wow, because I didn't even know what it was in school. I didn't know what financial literacy was, you know? And um, I think about like, when you talk about like student loans, it's such a tragedy in the fact of like saying, okay, like, do you think it would be okay to give an 18 year old a $200,000 mortgage no with no qualifications? Of course not. At least that would be backed by a house. Yeah. Well, You'll give him a $200,000 mortgage, not knowing whether he's going to get a degree or not, first of all. And then second of all, not knowing that that's really going to be paid back if you have no choice. And now you take one of the world's, one of the, one of the founding father's greatest gifts, bankruptcy, 
away from the option. So the lender and the school have no skin in the game because you are going to pay it back no matter what. Um, you nailed it. That's first and foremost. We are asking young people to make sometimes half million dollar decisions before they're old enough to have a Budweiser legally. But we don't teach them about loans. Well, I know. And we don't even talk about finance before, we don't even give them the, 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 the we don't even give them the textbook before the test, right? Uh, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And they're making decisions based on which campus they like better or which dorm they like better. And it is different if you're going to- if, if Who's you're got going, the best football team? Well, of course. Right? <laughs> um, if you're going to MIT and you're coming out with, with some engineering degree or you're going to certain schools with certain majors, you're gonna come out and, and the, the odds are that you will have some significant career opportunities. But I don't know about you, I was a liberal arts major. I loved it. I studied English and psychology and absolutely loved it. But would I pay 80 grand a year for that right now? I can't fathom it. <laughs> as much as I loved mind. it. Yeah. I mean, especially with, with free online courses. If you wanna take a course in, in 18th century romantic poetry, by God, you do it and it'll be free and it'll be online. And then you can figure something else out professionally. Well, that's the thing. I bet 18 year old Eric, if I said, you don't have to make any payments, you can just go do this and you don't, we'll pay for it. And you can just pay us back later with no payments. Don't worry about this. Right. And it's, that's what we're doing. We're going, Hey, there's no payments. Sign here. No, there's no payments. Just go ahead and sign here. Wait, I don't have to pay this back no, not later when you're making a boatload of money. Well, it, and it's not just right? the kids. We've seen parents, if not bankrupt themselves, at least make it impossible to reach financial independence because of private schooling or college or grad school. They're, they're postponing their own retirement savings to put their kid through law school when arguably, you know, it's like the airplane safety lecture. You've got to put your own mask on first. I've said to people, you're going to have some really well-educated kids. Which one are you going to live with? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I know. You're, you're I know. not going to have that's three scary. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing is like, it, so part of being a money talker and teaching your kids about financial literacy and teaching them about entrepreneurship and teaching about successful mindsets should be selfish right? Because I don't want to be a burden on my kids, right? And I don't want to be supporting them when they're 30 either. You know, I've got some stuff lined up for my kids in a legacy kind of mindset. And we kind of talked about uh, the word legacy a little bit offline. And like, when I try to make decisions, like for them going to school, it's going to be on them, right? I will help support them in some ways, but it's not going to be a blank check where it's like dad's going to empty everything he has so you can go get a college degree and, and see how it works. If they have got intentionality, then there's going to be a different conversation. But it's not going to happen that way because for two reasons. One, you got to live you, right? I want my kids to feel independent. I don't want them to feel dependent to me because there's, when there's a lender and a borrower situation, there's going to be strife, right? And then two, I don't, I want to be independent, <laughs> right? right? I, want, I, I think you've, you've earned that, no? Yeah, I'm working at it, right? I told my mom right. the same thing when, uh, you know, she was one of those people that, and that's why it was kind of heartfelt talking about what happens down in South Florida. My mom was an entrepreneur, thriving, just running business, ran a really successful business, sold it, moved down to South Florida to live by me, lived in a condo, um, and, and just literally died within five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. she, and she was miserable. She, she always <laughs> wanted to live in the condo on the beach and then got miserable when she got there. She was like this, she was so bored. She had nothing to do. And I kept trying to get her to volunteer or go out and do stuff. And it just kept like, it was, you know, and so I, I completely resonate with what you're talking about graduating because I saw it firsthand and it was, it was painful to watch. 
you know? Well, and, and also, I, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I also had conversations with my own parents um, because, you know, this is a two-way street. And I said, you don't need to leave me a nickel. I told my mom the same thing. Please take care <laughs> of yourself. Yeah. I, I don't want to have to pay your bills. You don't have to leave me anything. You spend your last dollar on your last breath and God love you. But please don't put me in a position where I'm paying for three generations at once in various ways. Please take care of the long-term care piece. Please take care of the estate piece. Please do the things that you need to do to be self-sufficient. Um, because we, we see that too. It's a two-way street. Your yeah. parents can bankrupt you as easily as your kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that right now there's, uh, there's a very – there's a very big part of that stretch, right? The three generation. Yeah. It's never really happened before because uh, it's true because we're living we had, longer. Yeah. We live in longer. There's, and there's less, um, there were the, because of the great recession as well. Right. So a lot of people mm -hmm. got just burned so bad that the retirement pieces got wiped out for a whole, now we're, now we're 15 years into that, you know, or whatever, yeah. 12 years into that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so what do you, so what do you suggest how to handle that? What do you, what do you suggest as, as, as two, I guess, um, on, on the retiring side and, and setting things up so you don't become a burden because the majority of people listening to this are going to be parents, right? Okay, sure. So it won't be necessarily probably a lot of grandparents, but in that parent side. And so if you're in the 30 to 50 area, probably, what do you, and you're looking forward to another 35, 40, 50 years, like what are, what are your, what are your top topics to get into with that? Uh, the first thing, very simply, is to avoid adverse debt. I mean, using debt as leverage to open a company or, or buy a piece of real estate is fine, but consumer debt is basically always taboo. So avoid the adverse debt. And that includes student loans for your own kids. I mean, if you're co-signing on them, you're on the hook. And if they wind up back in your basement eating Cheetos and playing Xbox, you're going to be writing those checks. So you don't want that. Um, the second thing I would say is to, to get in... Uh, the habit of what I refer to as paying yourself first, which means every month before you pay bills, before you deal with your own financials, your own P&L, put away what you need to put away to, to hit that financial independence target at a reasonable, uh, with reasonable assumptions. So if you say, I'm 38 years old, I want to be financially independent when I'm 55, and I'm making this up, but if that's the deal, you can mathematically fairly easily figure out what do I need to put away at what reasonable rate of return, assuming a certain inflation? How much do I need to put away? And then do that first. So if that means I have to live on 78% of my income, if that's the math for you, it might be 90, it might be 60, but 78% of your income, whatever it is, make sure that first 22% is put away before you've written a check to anything, to pay to any bill. And if you do that, and every time you get an increase, a salary increase, a bonus, any kind of extra money, Keep that percentage, and you'll wind up living on less than you than than you earn. You'll spend less than you make, which is critically important. I mean, you can't get out of a hole by borrowing money unless you're the federal government. <clears throat> and we promised we wouldn't talk politics, but at the end of the day, if you can't print money, you can't get out of the hole that way. Um, and the other thing is, you know, making sure that you've diversified in all the various ways so that you don't run into a 2008 buzzsaw. Because there will be other black swans. COVID looked like it could have been, you know, back in March, April, there was certainly a lot of trepidation around that. And to suggest that there won't be another um, either economic or medical or other type of calamity or crisis is, is fool's errand. We know it's coming. We don't know what it is or when. That's, that's part of the deal. So 
you want to insulate yourself from the big mistake. Because, mm. Cody, losses and gains are not equivalent. You can't use um, arithmetic. Arithmetic will lie to you. And here, here's a perfect example. If you were to tell me, look, I want to invest $10,000, and you invest $10,000 for two years, and in the first year, you gain 100%. In the second year, you lose 100%. How much money do you have? Zero. You lost it all. So what if in the first year you gain 50% and the second year you lose 50%? Yeah. Your yeah. average rate of return is zero. That's what it'll say on the prospectus. It'll say zero. But you didn't have zero because the 10,000 grew to 15,000 and then it went to 7,500. Oh, by the way, you paid taxes on the upside and didn't necessarily get a break on the downside too. I mean, the game is really rigged against you. And so I think it's really important to understand, understand the flaws on exchange traded funds or mutual funds, understand the way the tax laws work, understand that diversification is more than just picking 20 stocks instead of 10. It's figuring out asset classes, it's figuring out uh, different types of accounts, how they're going to be taxed. I mean, I, I'm not a, a gambler, but I would wager if, if pressed that 10 years from now, maybe less, income tax rates in this country are going to be a whole lot higher than they are now because of the stimulus packages and the deficits. Well, if that's true, maybe the 401k isn't the panacea people think it is. Maybe you're taking a tax deduction in a lower uh, uh, income tax bracket than the one you're going to grow it to and then pay taxes later. The idea of, of being in a lower tax bracket in retirement is planning to fail. That's basically saying when I retire, I'm going to have less money. And because I'm going to have less money, I'm going to pay less taxes. That's a great plan. Don't that, that, let's have an abundance mentality. Mm -hmm. Plan to have more money than you know what to do with. Expect to have a tax problem and plan for it. So that's a lot to unpack in one shot. So where do you start? Well, um, it, it, we actually I put out an ebook on this that's free to anyone who's interested at lowtaxbook.com. And it talks about four places where investors, Americans, can put money where it's never taxed again. And I, I have yet to, to be a guest on a show where a host of any kind got all four. I would, I, would have, I would love to quiz you and see how many of the four you get. And I know you're going to Google it right now because you're crafty that way. But, but, but at the end of the day, there are four places where almost every American can put money where used properly, it will never be taxed again. So let's go through them. Go I want to hear it. these. Yeah. I, I, I want to see if you know any of them. Yeah, Come on, on the Cody. Spot. All right. You're talking where, money now. Where can we put money that will never be taxed again? During your lifetime. Okay. During your now, lifetime. Are we, talk, is, are we throwing Roths in there? A absolutely. A Roth is one of them. That's okay. one. And the Roth 401k and Roth IRA are lumped together for this purpose. No I get That's two. That's one. All no, right. That's I got one. two. I'm two out of four. Well, now you're two out of five, <laughs> apparently. No, no. The Roth is one. The All Roth right. used properly is an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, let's go trust. Nope. No, there's no insurance trust or an insurance, uh, well, insurance. There, life insurance yeah. is definitely one. Whole life insurance specifically yeah. is a way to use, to, to leverage money where you're never taxed again if you use it properly. But it's not the trust that does that. The trust is for estate reasons. Okay. We're talking income taxes here. All right. Income taxes. So, so right. whole life insurance is one and Roths are another. That's two. You're already ahead of almost every host I've talked to. <laughs> uh, is, is death tax counting? Is that nope. an income tax? No, nope. we're talking, that's, that's a state or inheritance tax. We're talking just income taxes during your lifetime. Oh, during mine. Okay. Yeah, All during right. your All lifetime. Right. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. The last two have strings attached, but used yeah. properly, they're beautiful. 
Is there an offshore? Can I put it in another country? No, no. This is American. This is simple stuff. This isn't, <laughs> we're, we're not talking about the thing that creates a red flag at the IRS office. We're talking about really simple. I won't say obvious because nothing's obvious, but, but these are really simple strategies. Okay. And you nailed two of them. You want some All help? Right. Yeah, I need some help. I'm going right, to need some help. because I, I think I could get there if I had another half an hour of this, but it's going to be really painful to listen to. Uh, the HSA. <laughs> Okay. The health, health savings account is, is hands down the most powerful tax tool there is. And people aren't using them and they're not using them right. So we can talk about it, but it's better than any 401k anywhere is the really? HSA. Absolutely. Okay. And, and I'm happy to demonstrate that. And then the fourth is a 529 plan. I was going to I was say student uh, and put in a way for, for student, for student uh, learning. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, so let's break these down. In a Roth, you're using after-tax dollars. And then you're growing them with no taxation, no current taxation, no capital gains, no 1099s. And then your withdrawals, as long as you're 59 and a half, your withdrawals are tax-free and there's no required minimum distribution during your lifetime. Now, when your kids receive it or your heirs receive it, they have 10 years now under the new tax law, they have 10 years to drain it. But even for them, it's not taxable. Really? I didn't know that a part of it. So they have 10 years years to distribute it. Correct. Correct but it's not taxable for them anyway. Correct. Correct. What would be the purpose for them not to receive it all at lump sum? Is it to to remain in their investments? Absolutely. And to allow it to have another 10 years to grow before you pull it out. Okay. Yeah. That's a huge advantage then. Yeah. If you get, if you you can, if you can keep it away from you, you've just, you've just built an entire retirement portfolio for yourself. Can now, now can you shift it into your own? Uh, you cannot. You can't consolidate oh, them okay. because it has to be an inherited Roth or an inherited IRA. So, so it has uh, to come out as cash. No, no, it can come out as uh, in kind. You don't have to necessarily sell what you own, but, but then you it do have to take taxable... the distribution. Then it becomes taxable. Then it becomes a capital. You got to put it gains. in a tax account. Oh, Correct. it becomes a ta- capital gain. Okay. Yeah, it, you're not paying capital gains on it, but you have no. to move it someplace where now it will be subject to capital gains. Gotcha. But for okay. your lifetime plus ten years, every dollar in your Roth is not taxed for income purposes. That's big. Your lifetime yeah. plus 10 years, whatever that is. Um, on the, on the uh, whole life insurance, whole life insurance is badly misunderstood. Um, and mostly it's because the, the, the premiums on whole life insurance look like they're bills. They're really not. They're contributions. And yes, they are required. So you have to make sure you do it right. But, but I use the life insurance my folks bought for me. You talk about teaching kids. When I was 14 years old, my folks had the foresight to do that for me. I used it to buy my first home. And I used it to start my first company. Can you because still... le- you can leverage against it, or can absolutely. you absolutely really? And I'm alive and well. So and you can I borrow against it. it. You, yes, and you can use it like a line of credit on a on a home, and it's it's interest only, it's low rate, it is um, it is an incredibly powerful tool. Now you can't borrow against your death benefit. You borrow against the cash value in the contract, which is why only certain okay. kinds of contracts will do this. But you know, I bought this for my daughter when she was born. She's 10 years old. It's paid for for life. That's the first thing I'm thinking of. That's why I'm, I'm going, Absolutely. wait a minute. Okay, so yeah. uh, you can do this with kids. Yeah. Okay, so how do you do this with kids? Because I want to with- know because I've been, I've been working a lot of different angles to get Roths for my kids and yep. to get whole life would be, you know, that's, that's a totally easier avenue, it sounds like. So how do you do this? Well, it's easier because it doesn't require them to have a W-2. Yeah, I mean, to do a Roth, they've got to, you, you've got to, my, my five-year-old is emptying the trash is a very tough argument to make with the IRS. Although, you know, it's small enough, they may not come for you, but um, 
Yeah, but mine worked day, for mon- mine worked for money talkers, so they do promotion stuff and oh, well, and, that's good and work right. So yeah, so they and you know they make they don't make a lot, but uh, at, at six and seven and eight years old, you're making a hundred dollars a month, and all that goes into retirement savings. Absolutely, and the Roth IRA is perfect for that. That's why I'm not paying for school. There you go. <laughs> Solid. Well, except that the 529 could still be helpful. We'll get there. So, so here, here's how it works. You have a, a son or a daughter? How many kids? Both. I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. A nine-year-old daughter, six-year-old son. So you can do two things um, for them using whole life insurance that will make a huge difference. Number one, you can get a contract for them. Um, and typically, there's a limit to how much you can insure kids for because we don't know what their human life value is because we don't know what their income is and so forth. But Let's use an example. Let's say you insure, um, you insure each of your kids for a total of $700,000. 350 of that is in a contract that is a 10 payment contract. You're gonna write 10 checks. And after those 10 years, they'll have that for the rest of their lives, growing tax, tax deferred for the rest of time. So when you say that and they're insured for 700, you're going to write half of that. You're going to write $350,000. Oh, no, 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 no. What I wrote for my daughter was about four grand a year. This is not expensive. Okay. This is not expensive. It's incredibly easy. And you did Um, it on a 10-year plan. So half of it's a 10-year plan. Okay. And the reason to do half of it in a 10-year plan is because after the 10 years, the cash in the contract must be worth what you've put into it. So worst case scenario, you got them some life insurance and all you paid was the opportunity cost but it will then grow typically four, four and a half, five percent, and it's never taxed again, and it can be collateralized as a line. And oh, by the way, it's not a gift to them. You own it, it's your property. If you decide you want it back, it's still your money. Hmm. You can cash it back out? Absolutely. It's after it's still, tax when you put it in? Uh, it is after tax when you put it in. And when you take it out, the basis isn't taxable. You'd pay ordinary income tax, but only on the gain. Yeah. Now, the other contract we would do would be a contract that they pay for or you pay for until they're 65. There's a one, reason to do I got one. I got one other question there before you yeah. go there. So yeah, you said sure. it grows at 4 or 5%. What, what, what basis is it growing on? What, the, where? The, the, the cash value is invested in the, in the uh, account, the, the ordinary account of the life insurance company. Okay. And so there is a guaranteed cash value portion. Okay. And then there is a projected cash value portion based upon dividend histories. You want a mutual okay. company here. Don't do this with a stock company. Yeah. Do it with a mutual company because you don't want them paying dividends to stockholders. You want them paying it to you as a policyholder. Yep. So then the second contract you do is one that's, that's much less expensive per year. It's basically a footnote to you at the end, but um, it, it's payable till they're 65 years old. And you say, why in the world would I sign up for that? And why would I eventually give this to them where they're paying that? And the reason is you can protect their insurability so that they can get, there are ways to, to protect their insurability so that between the ages of 25 and 45, typically, they can get more life insurance even if they medically couldn't qualify. So if they wind up married or with kids and they're diabetic or there's something going on medically that they, they are absolutely allowed to get more insurance every three years, it will insure them up to two plus million dollars if you want it to be. Now they'll have to choose to do it and they'll have to buy it and they'll have to pay for it. They're adult people but they can't be turned down. Mm. So you've preserved the insurability, which ultimately not only creates cash for your kids when you choose to let them have it, which could be either a graduation present, a wedding present, or a, uh, a gift at death. That's also an option. Um, but also likely will wind up rolling down with the, the death benefit being tax-free, income tax-free to your grandkids, who you may or may not ever meet. I mean, 
you know, we, we don't know what that legacy is going to be, but you're amplifying money completely tax-free with this. And it's not expensive. Yeah. So ballpark me on something like, like, a, like, like my kids are six and nine. Like, what do you, and then you get a pay to 65, right? And so yeah, let's say you're you probably paying, you're probably paying $1,500 a year. Okay. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm making and that. that goes, I mean, and, that's per, a ca- and that's a cash value. There is a, there is a cash value there component is a cash value to por- it, portion to but, it right? but there's also expenses in it. You still have mortality costs. So, yeah. you know, the, the cost in those contracts tend to be in the early years and then they tend to either reduce or be gone. Yeah. The 10 years beautiful because you never, you never write a check again. My, my daughter's just paid for yeah. for the rest of her life and I still own it. So if she's a rotten egg, it's still my money <laughs> and I'll do what I want with it. And I actually have a line of credit against it if I want to use it. Yeah. Why not? And I, I, you know, ultimately it's another asset for me. It doesn't generate a 1099. It doesn't generate ordinary income tax and I can use it whenever I want to. And oh, by the way, it's not on your FAFSA. It's not in your credit report. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So does it affect them when we were talking about student loans and how, mm-hmm. all that stuff? Well, let's say that they're going to get something for that. There's a consideration because it has to take into account for their assets, which is one of the reasons I like the Roth because that it keeps that portion out of theirs out. This is not their asset. Yeah, it's your you asset. You own it. You own yeah. it. You own it. And, and you can set it up so that uh, it's owned by you and then it's owned by a spouse or someone else if you want it to be, or you can leave it to the kids. If it ultimately is in their name, it's their asset. You don't want it to be theirs until they're finished with school. Yeah. You know, so my folks, like I said, they did this for me. I was 14 years old. And when I was 25, I bought my first home and I leveraged the cash. And they had transferred it to me, which I couldn't have done without their blessing. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was working. I was a decent egg, I think. And so they said, here, this is yours now. You have to take over the premiums for this. And I think it was $350 a year. Like at the time, it was silly. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't as big a death benefit. But nonetheless, I used that as the down payment on my first home. It got me in the door when I, I didn't have the collateral to do it. I had the income, but I didn't have the savings. And when I consider what I earned, what I made on that house... If I were to take the the ninety one grand I paid for my first home and the two twenty five I sold it for later, and consider that part of the the ROI on my life insurance, it's been the best darn thing I ever owned. Now, did they get any ROI of that? That's the real question here, Eric. No, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. But that's because out of the kindness of their heart, they gave it to me. Um, but but they could have. There was no spiff, nothing. Jeez, nothing. No there was dinner. no 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 vig. Well, <laughs> no there, vig. There's no vig. There's been dinners, but uh, but no. So so that is that is a way to amplify wealth that is very misunderstood, um, and partly it's misunderstood because um, a lot of insurance professionals really don't do a great job explaining it, and often oversell it, and they're the people you try and stay away from in an elevator or a cocktail party anyway. Yeah, I, so you I, need to. You need to look at it as a as an overall. It, it as soon as you hear that, you sort of flinch. You'd be amazed at how many financial professionals I have talked to on this show, uh, and I've never had anybody bring up the idea of doing whole life with a kid so you could transfer wealth to them, or not transfer wealth to them, but or I guess eventually. But, eventually, yeah, eventually, but being tax free, pushing it into them. Not only with, that, but when with, you transfer with, but it the to leverage them, when you transfer it. it to them, it's not a gift. It, it, it's there's a transfer for value rule that would make it a taxable gift that is waived if you're gifting it to the insured. So if you grow this thing and it's 50 or hundred grand, you can't give your kids a hundred thousand dollars in a given year. That's you have to file gift tax returns. You have to use your unified credit. It's toward your estate and it's all this nonsense, but not with the life insurance. You just say, here you go. Hmm. 
here you go. Don't mess this up. If you mess this up, you're not invited to Thanksgiving anymore, you know, or whatever it is. So, so that's the second thing. So we talked about the Roth, which people really do know about. They get the Roth. Yeah. Um, they don't get the whole life insurance. They definitely don't get the HSA. So let's talk about it. Yeah. We've got to, um, we've got to get close though. Cause I got oh, to keep well, you for the thing. Well, then, so. I, then I'll tell you what, then, tell me, give then me, can I get the elevator version? Elevator version is it's the only account known to mankind that allows you to use uh, tax deductible pre-tax dollars to fund it, to invest it and grow it for your entire life, tax, tax deferred, and then to pull it out tax-free so long as it's used for some form of medical care at some point in your life. You don't have to use it annually? No. Every HSA, every HSA plan I've ever had was through, you know, like um, uh, through the insurance company. And ah, you always had to, every year you had to spend whatever you no, put in there. That's not an HSA. That's a flexible spending account. That's an FSA for healthcare. And those are a giant problem because you wind up with money left over in December and you get four pair of glasses you didn't need. So you didn't feel like you threw it away. Those are a waste. Yeah. Now, FSAs can be great for dependent care because it allows you to take up to $5,000 a year and deduct it for daycare. That's a big mm -hmm. deal, but the healthcare one's not great. Um, it can be for vision or dental, but it's a little thing. The HSA is a big thing. If you're in a high deductible health plan, you can put money away. And we've done shows on this. I've had some very cool guests talk about the HSA planning um, on Don't Retire, Graduate. But the, the idea here is that it's, it doesn't have to be held in cash. You can invest it like anything else. You can also keep your medical receipts and file a claim later. So imagine this. You, you keep a, a folder of your medical receipts for the next 10 years for you and your family, whoever's covered by the plan. And you pay for them out of pocket. You use your visa, your debit card, you write a check, whatever it is. 10 years from now, you're in sort of a cash crunch. You need to figure out what am, you know, where am I going to get some extra money for whatever it is. You can file 10 years worth of claims on your HSA in one day. And by the way, that money's grown in some investment, presumably, for the full 10 years. And it's not taxable. And if you're lucky enough, people say, well, what if I never need medical care? Which you and I both know is extraordinarily <laughs> rare. But let's, let's, let's play with this. Let's say you are the healthiest human ever and you die in your sleep at 92 playing tennis. And you've never, you know, what, not, you're not sleeping during the tennis, but you're a tennis player. when you, I might be. Maybe. <laughs> if, if you truly have no medical expenses, once you're, once you're of retirement age, you can use it like an IRA or a 401k and you can just take it for anything you want. There's no penalty. It's just taxable, like an IRA would be. So if you're maxing your 401k, make sure you also max your HSA. In fact, if you can only do one or the other, the HSA is more powerful. Really? Because the 401k must be taxable someday. Yeah. The HSA could be non-taxable forever. It's, it's like it never happened. And it's right offable during the year that you take it out, right? Absolutely. Huh. Pre-tax, deductible, no income limits. You know, the Roths have income limits on them. Mm -hmm. The whole life insurance doesn't have a contribution limit, but it has an insurability limit because there are, there's, there's an amount by which if you're worth more dead than alive, insurance companies don't love that. So there's a, a component of that. You know, even 529s, which we haven't talked about, have contribution limits. You can't, they're not, they're not endless. Um, so all of them have various limits, but it's the only one of the four strategies where money can go, where it's, where it's tax deductible, federal and state on the way in. 529 sometimes can be deductible to your state, depending where you live and how the, your state rules work, but it's not deductible for federal. And you grow the money, it's still your money. We have so many grandparents who are doing not only the whole life, but the, the 529s for their grandkids. Yeah. You can park a ton of money. It is outside your estate, so it's not taxed at your death. 
it is outside your, your, the income piece. It doesn't belong to the grandchild. So if you need it, if grandma needs that money back, it's still her money. But if she doesn't need it, she has grown it with no 1099s for all those years, and Junior can use it for school. And if he or she doesn't need to, it can roll to their sibling. It can roll to a grandchild. Cody, you could even use your kid's 529 to go back and get a PhD for yourself. Well, that would be scary. <laughs> I, I'm, not call, I'm not calling you doctor until you, until you finish. Um, I, I guess my, my point is there are so many things to learn about money and, uh, and about taxes that people just don't know. And they're, they're, they're big. It's a big deal. Eric, that is a perfect segue for me to tell you how do people find out more about what you're doing and these things that we're talking about? Because you got my wheels turning. I don't know if you can see, we're on the video. You probably can see it. My, my, my eyes are start, when I start thinking, my eyes start going around and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I've got wheels going like crazy. Yeah. So where do people find out more about what you're doing uh, with this well, stuff? First, there's a, a website. If you go to lowtaxbook.com, you can download a white paper on this. It's an ebook. It's about 15, 16 pages long. It's written in plain English. It's not a textbook and it's free. Um, there's also in my book, which I will shamelessly plug, which plug is away. called Don't, Don't Retire, Graduate, which is uh, written to be like a college curriculum. It's fun. It's not hard. Um, but there's, there's 21 different modules in it that range from debt management and cash management to risk management to portfolios to legacy to things more important than money. And it's a path from financial literacy to financial freedom. Um, with complete with exercises, every chapter's got its own extra credit assignment because we don't like homework, but we love extra credit. Um, and that's available at brotmanmedia.com slash books or on Amazon or at don'tretiregraduate.com. And that's where you'll find our show. So um, we're, we're helping a lot of people reach financial independence in ways that are, that are really not complicated and don't have to be expensive. Um, they're just practical and they're not taught. You know, that's the best part about personal finance that I always get questions like people want the secrets. There aren't. They're the same things. The same principles have been around for thousands of years and we Some just need them. to talk of them. Yeah. Most well, and, of them. And you, know. and you can, you but can look the, them up. Yeah. You can look them up there. There, this is public, easy information. None of this is the kind of thing that's going to get you in trouble. I mean, yeah. these are things that are very standard, plain vanilla. This isn't offshoring something. It's not hiding something. There's nothing. <laughs> You know, it, it, people are always thinking, oh, geez, I, I, I got to do something in the Caymans. No, you don't. You just have to use our tax laws legally to your advantage. All right, I'll unbook my flight, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not saying don't go on vacation. <laughs> I'll, I'll return my, my suitcase of cash back to the well, bank. <laughs> non-sequential <laughs> bills, Cody. You want non-sequential <laughs> bills. That doesn't raise a flag. Do you have any non-sequential bills? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, just rest him. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Eric, thank you, man. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, yeah. and, and, and Money Talkers, this is something that is hiding in plain sight and uh, can be a great strategy, um, especially when thinking about, you know, not being a burden to your kids. And so uh, I encourage you to check that out. I'm going to go to lowtaxbook.com and check it out as well. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Eric. My pleasure, Cody. It's been great. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers. 
for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.